And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. We wanted to bounce back. We wanted to have a good start, like Johnny said. We wanted to really respond after a game one that we weren't proud of. Uh, so for our group to come out early and have a good start and you know get on the board and to, you know, ultimately win the game is, is a great feeling. But you know, I mean, truly, our our focus is, is on what we can do each game, uh, each day, keep chipping away. You know, we're not really trying to spend too much time worrying about the mood around us and within the city and everything like that. We're trying to control what we have here and uh, just take it one day at a time. Well, hello, James. That was quite a different game than we saw in game number one. Huh? Yeah, go back go back to the last episode and just delete everything we said and we're, we're going to take it off the top again. What a, what a like Jekyll and Hyde. There was always a chance of this because this happened last year too, remember? Like remember game one and game two? It was like, whoa, whoa. You know, it was like two lopsided games and then we'll probably settle into the like three two like defensive battles here the rest of the way yeah it's kind of funny the two games were basically the same just for the opposite team like in game one tampa gets out to that quick start three nothing leafs game two three nothing and then like the game was basically over you know what i mean like there was not really any drama like tampa makes it three one but then tavera scores and immediately it's four one again and the game's gone so yeah. Yeah. I mean, credit to the Leafs. They didn't really let up. I mean, the only lull was Ian Cole gets that goal and you're like, oh, you know, is it is there going to be some sort of a comeback here? And then they just, you know, put their foot down and ran away with the game. So that was only the that's the 14th time in Leafs history. They've scored seven goals in a playoff game and the first time since 1994. Wow. Against San, against San Jose. It's the last time they scored seven goals in a playoff game. So that was... Uh, that was a special performance. So I think obviously the the big takeaway is that they responded, but then the conjoining takeaway, James, do you like that? Is that their their stars really carried them through? Like that first period is all Matthews, Marner, Tavares, Neilander, Riley, uh, and that's like it, you hate to boil things down just to something so simple. But if they're 
stars are going to perform like that, they have a very good chance of winning the series. And if they don't, they don't. Like, it's not really super complicated. What did you see from some of their top players uh, in game two? They were really taking advantage of the fact that the Lightning were missing two of their best defensemen. Like, they, Tampa just could not control them. Like, the gaps were bigger than they should have been. Uh, they were, the Leafs were able to get away with more down low on the cycle, you know, even not even just the star players, but I thought Achari was that like that Achari nice O'Reilly line was all over them, you know, and unlike game one, game one, the only line that did really anything for them in the offensive zone was the first line yeah. and, and the other lines looked a mess. This game, I would say, I think every line gave them something. I mean, the fourth line, maybe the least amount, but like that, that third line, once you had O'Reilly there and I liked the way Nyes played. I liked the way Achari played. I liked the way obviously the big guys played. The power play looked great. I mean, those are huge absences for Tampa, not having Chernak and not having Hedman. Like it's, you, they, they were rolling out that uh, Radish played like 22 and a half minutes or something. And, He's a guy, he's 27 years old. He's got like 21 career NHL games. You should, you, there should be an imbalance when the Leafs have their stars out there in in the lightning zone when that's the case. Well, I was comparing it to you uh, during the game and it would be the equivalent kind of, of like Riley and Brody not playing, something like that. Like you take two of their top four defenders and two defenders who end up playing a lot together and a lot together against the Leaf Stars. And it's just like, you're right. There should be mismatches. I thought there's two things I want to get into as far as the Stars are concerned. I think I kind of want to start with the Tavares line because that was a, a concern of mine heading into game two. I was a little like not surprised that that's what Keith ended up doing, putting Kerfoot and Neander back with Tavares because of the hole that bunting creates and kind of the trickle down effect of that. But that line was effective and, and Tavares scoring a couple goals at five on five and really kind of finding separation uh, to do what he does best, shoot the puck. Um, that's that's a big deal. Like if he can kind of produce and, and not see that line, his line um, get outplayed, that's going to be a big deal for the Leafs, especially as the series shifts back to Tampa. Like that's where it gets more interesting for me. Well, it's funny that like the Kerfoot, Tavares and Nylander has been a line that like <laughs> it's one of those lines it's like nope that doesn't work and then they go back to it again yeah nope that doesn't work like it, it's yeah it's kind of like it's always like the the fallback option and that's the best it's looked in a long time you know and th they did a really nice job of getting the cycle going getting the puck to Tavares in in key spots and yeah I mean I, I, that could be a line where the lightning looked to to create a, a matchup problem in in Tampa against, but I mean, with the way that the third line and the first line played, I mean, if if you want to put your best guys out against that second line, you're going to have to really worry about what you're contending with with Matthews and Marner and O'Reilly on the other lines. Yeah, I'm going to write about that for today. Um, so I'll save some of my thoughts, but I, I think you mentioned the Matthews Marner Yarncrock line. I thought Yarncrock was quiet, quiet, but Matthews and Marner. We're, we're dialed in and, and Marner like you, you hate to I, I, I sometimes get annoyed when people are like how important is it to score the first goal it's like yeah like no shit it's important to score the first goal but in that game he was awesome he was like right in the first away. few minutes though well yeah, that's like what he, I mean right he, away right he set the tone like you know stealing the puck scoring the goal like he just he was like nope we're not losing today basically it was like yes you know there was uh, there's been lots of talk I think m among the media just about like kind of like 
the leadership qualities of Mitch Marner coming out more this year. And I think you're absolutely seeing it. And it's like, he's still like a happy go lucky guy, but when it's like business, he's like, he gets the game face on and like goes to work. And that's what I didn't, I didn't go to the game. You were at the game. So like we had a bit of a different perspective, but just on TV, it was just like, it just felt like he was super dialed in as soon as the game started. Unlike, game one for most of the leagues. Well, and I think we have this perspective uh, or the way we see leadership doesn't really look like someone like Mitch Marner, uh, just in like how he looks like he's youngish looking the way he plays. Like he's not, he's not running people over. Like that's not his game. Like to show his leadership, he has to do the things that he did in that game. I think that's a bit unfair though. Don't you like, it I, is, but that, especially, that's, but, especially but, lately Marner, like I can see a scenario where, you know, Marner is a captain at some point on this team at, right now. I guess what I'm saying, but I, I'm not saying it's fair or unfair. I, I'm saying like, I think we need to adjust in some ways what we think of leadership because like we have this old school view of it. Like Ryan O'Reilly is kind of like the prototypical version of what you think of when you think of leadership and for good reason. But Marner does it in his own way and that's how he does it. Like he starts that game, he picks that pass off, he draws a penalty and then he scores. Like, you know what I mean? Like his, his leadership is going to look different than Ryan O'Reilly's leadership, but it's leadership all the same. And like, they need it. Like they're not going to win the series if those guys don't play like that. I thought Matthews was just like a force. Like they could not stop him in that game. And I think it's interesting, like how hard John Cooper was working to get Sorelli in that group against Matthews. And eventually Sheldon Keefe just stopped caring about it just because they were, they were winning the matchup. It didn't matter. So, yeah. Well, I mean, that was one of the stories of the series last year, right? Sorelli was was very, very effective at even strength. But it's tough, though, if you don't have the blue line to to shut down the cycle and move the puck out of your zone. Like, you know, like some of the overmatched guys like Nick Perbix was just having a really tough time with the puck and in his own end. And yeah, going to want to burn the tape <laughs> for for him for, for that one. Well, and I, and I should mention uh, four primary assists for Morgan Riley. And that's like vintage Riley, right? Like those are the things when he's like going that you see from Riley where he's just involved. He like he creates that second Tavares goal out of nothing, basically. Was it you or Cloak that pointed out just how many points he has during the playoffs? Like it Me. seems like Riley. 29 and 41 games. It was. Yeah. So it's like a 60 point pace for a defenseman in the playoffs. It was the Montreal series, right? Where Riley kind of had a so-so regular season and then yes the Montreal series like I just remember him like taking over some games and the thing like Riley's been one of those guys that's been really dumped on a lot this year like to a surprising amount um you know and I get it you know some of the defensive miscues and stuff like that but I think it's like gone a little bit too far because I think I think sometimes he doesn't get enough credit for how dynamic he is offensively yes you know like like he's just just the way he and I, I that's that's why he got the contract and that's why the Leafs didn't want to move on from him and that's why you know they, they just Tavares said it well after the game he's like he makes it so easy for you as a forward and that's the perfect way to put it because you know Tavares isn't probably isn't going to pick up the puck in his own zone and carry it to the other end and create a scoring chance Riley is like every time he's just you know even at what is he is he thirty now he's twenty nine he's still. He still can motor and he's still, he's got such good, like some of the passes that he made. Yes. I like that one pass that was like at the blue line. And I think it went the one to Nylander where he just like 
shoots it all the way across and no one really saw it coming. And then Neilander just goes in and scores. I think, I think that's what happened. Yep. Well, and I think to your point, James, I think what happens is like, he's been around since 2013. So like a long time. Um, and I think what ends up happening is like, you kind of start to gloss over some of those things that you're talking about that he does really well. And, and all you can kind of see is the mistakes and, and some of the weaknesses in his game. And you forget, like, there aren't a lot of defensemen in the league who do that, like the stuff you're talking about. And I think, like, year pretty much consistently, like, I'd have to go through it year by year, but I think he's been pretty good in the playoffs, like, just about every year for a bit here now. Yeah. Like, he was good last year. Uh, like, you mentioned that Montreal series. Well, and it's not like he's not playing with Brody. Like, he's not, you know, he's the one that has to carry the pairing. And, yeah, I mean, they're not getting, like, the tough matchups and everything, but the way that he can create that separation and, and start the rush. I mean, it's, it's such a powerful thing to have. And the Leafs don't have a lot of guys like that on the back end. Like Justin Hall's not going to do that. They Jared don't Dan have any guys who can do that besides him. Right. And so they need, they need a transporter. Yes. They need someone that can do it. Brody can sort of do it, but Brody normally does it by passing the puck as opposed to skating it. Like, like Riley does. Well, and if you look at the pairs through two games, uh, Brody McCabe. Now these numbers are all kind of, screwed yeah. up because there's there's not been a lot of five on five time and the two games have basically been well, blowouts um yeah how many minutes of both those games are are relevant really yeah, right well like the first period tough, basically that's a tough thing with looking at some of the some of the stats is it's yeah it's hard to so maybe we should disregard it. it yeah all right i'm not even going to mention it because it kind of feels irrelevant but anyway the numbers look good but they're kind of meaningless at this point um you mentioned the nice achari o'reilly line we should talk about nice um he looked like he just looked comfortable, which is, I mean, we we were cautious in in what to expect from Nyes coming in, and I think with good reason. It is not an easy jump. He did not make it look like it was that big a deal for him. Like he just looked comfortable. I don't know what that is. Yeah. Like, what do you think that is? Do you think that's who he was playing uh, with? Do you think that's expectations? What do you think that is? I think that's who he is. You know, like some guys are going to be intimidated by the moment and some aren't. And it seems like like he seems pretty calm under fire. That one move he made where he does he does like the cutback yes. along the boards and then goes to the net. It's like, whoa, like that was very close to being a goal and a very nice goal too. Like that was like, that's not a move of like a fourth line player in the NHL. That's the move of someone with some talent. And he wasn't perfect. Like there were some plays with the puck where it's like, yeah, I don't know about that, but like, he's going to get better. You know, it, it, it's such a high pressure situation. Like you and I were talking before the game. It's like, man, if they lose this one, like they're going to have to win four or five to win the series. And, you know, and then you start thinking about like, you know, all kinds of stuff that would like, they had to win that game. Yes. They really, really had to win that game. And you put a kid in there. His, it's his first game in, in Toronto. You know, all the other games he had played in the regular season were all on the road, right? It's his first ever game at Scotiabank. And the playoff crowd, which was fantastic last night, you could tell on TV. And he's just not intimidated by the moment. And that's that's a fantastic sign. Yeah. He had uh, five hits. You mentioned that play. That play was like, that was like eye-opening. It's like, man, like he's doing that in his first NHL playoff game and like his fourth NHL game period. He doesn't, his skating's not, amazing but he doesn't look slow like he doesn't i mean no and he's like, like very aggressive the on the puck eh? yeah yeah well i mean yeah he's very physical and you can see how like his upper body like he just he's 
he's going up against like this is the thing that the cliche and i think we said it on the show too is that you know once you start playing it's one thing to bully like the college guys yes. but when you start playing with men and it's like i mean he looks like a he looks like a man like other than his face like you know he's just he's very solid on his skates too so you're not going to be knocking him over in the corner uh we should keep rolling we're going to take a break soon and, and get to some questions um a bounce back game obviously for Ilya Samsonov like the game was kind of like again like such a weird game um I gotta say, that's James, what police need to do though is protect him way better. I mean, that's yes. part of what we talked about, right? And that's like, what let they him did. get his confidence and yeah. I gotta say though, I really respect in some ways Vasilevsky just staying in the game and refusing to come out. Like that is a fucking badass move, no? So on the on the broadcast, Derek Lalonde, who used to be the assistant down in Tampa, is now the Red Wings coach. He's doing some analysis, and he said that. He said in the secondary mission, he's like, Vasilevsky won't come out. Like He's like, we've been in this situation before. We've asked him to do it, and he will not come out. So he like he, he's like never agreed to come out, basically, when it's a game like that. Yeah, and Cooper talked about it after the game. He said like it, it came up, and, and Vasilevsky <laughs> refused. Like The game was over. I was thinking, we didn't talk about this after game one, but do you think that part of what's intimidating for Samsonov is he's going up against like one of the greatest Russian goalies of all time. I think like, it's probably a, great a guy point. that he looks up to. And like, I was just thinking like watching like the, the pregame and stuff. And I was like, you know what? Like Vasilevsky has got to be like, it would be like a Canadian kid going up against Sidney Crosby or something like that. Like you could, I don't know. It could feel like a daunting challenge. Yeah. You could psych yourself out and say like, fuck, I got to beat this guy. Like I got to be perfect. And he, he alluded to the fact, and, and this was something Sheldon Keith talked about after game one, that he was nervous in, in the first game, first game, first playoff game for the Leafs, that stage facing Vasilevsky, but he was just more composed in game two. But like, let's see game three, game four, like let's, it's going to be fascinating to see how he performs as this series goes on and the stakes get larger because obviously he's facing the the best playoff goalie of this generation, right? Well, there's going to be there's going to be real close games, right? And it's going to come down to like one mistake and one moment. Like we had, that's what we haven't really seen in this series so far. Only two games, but there's going to be games where it's like in overtime, or yes, you know, and that's that's where in the past the Leafs goaltending has let them down with a you know like one bad goal against Jack Campbell. It makes a huge difference, exactly. And I'm glad you brought that up because like you can look back at Jack Campbell's stats in that series last year, and it's like. 36 save percentage he was better than Vasilevsky it's like no like when when things got real like at the end he gave up some goals that you you can't give up and Vasilevsky didn't yeah so that's like that's going to be interesting for the front office that series was like the end of any thought of bringing Campbell back like they just I think they they saw it so I mean we'll see with Samsonov we'll see if like it was just a game one jitters thing and he and he pulls it together here or not uh i do want to get to before we take a break uh the bunting suspension three games i think three games is is way over the top um i don't why do, why i thought he was getting i thought he was getting two or three how does he sure. get three well because it's not part of the play okay like, but it's like, like not like if, how do you get, had the puck how do you get to three well because it's because the, the level of how the number number one Number one, I heard I heard from the league on this. Okay. Number one, Chernak's hurt and he's hurt fairly badly. Number two, it's a headshot. Okay. All of the suspensions for headshots are much higher now than they have been historically, except for Number the one three, the night it's before. Not, uh, it's not. Yeah, go it's ahead. not part of the play. Okay. 
Yeah, but you're yeah, but the one you're picking, they like wasn't even a penalty by the rule book. I'm pretty sure we've seen people get suspended for things that weren't penalized in games. But anyway, continue. Well, they reviewed it, Jonas. They re- Jonas is talking about the Dumba on Pavelski. He thinks that that should have been a more of a suspension than Bunting. But, yes. but they reviewed it. Like they did a major review. So it wasn't a case of like the refs missing it because they looked at it and they said that's not a penalty. Now, should that be a penalty? I mean, yes, I, I think probably it was late. It was kind of blindside, but that's one where it's like that Dumba hit as the rule book is. And as like the suspension that have come down, there's, I don't know. It was a weird one. Part of why it's blindside is because there's another player in the way. Part of why Pavelski gets hurt is this two sticks get up in his face and hit him. Like there was some with bunting. There's no gray area there. It's a really, really stupid play. Okay. It's away from the play. And the other player's not expecting it. It's to the head and you hurt him. And he got a five minute match penalty. Like why why do you get th- I guess what my problem with this whole thing is all the things I said. Yeah, but it, it just feels very arbitrary how you get to three games and how some things are zero games and some things are one game. It's like it kind of feels like every single incident they're just making these rules up on the fly. And sometimes like they mentioned in the video, he has no history. But okay, those, but that does but those so how come but the history matters just, sometimes and the history doesn't matter some other times? Like, I don't understand. You're saying it's arbitrary, but I just gave you very concrete reasons why it's three games. I gave you, you all, didn't. Why all is that facts. not one game? Yes, I did. Why is that not one game? Yes, I did. Okay. What What's arbitrary about it being away from the play? Nothing. What's arbitrary about hitting him in the head? Nothing. What's arbitrary about him being hurt? Nothing. None of that is arbitrary. But, but how do you get to three? So do you, do you just decide that... All those things equals a game. Like I don't understand. So is that a ten game suspension in the regular season? Like no, it's. I, I'm sorry. Like you can't convince me. They should have these things in black and white. So but it's your defined. argument that a play that is clean by the real rule book refutes that play makes no sense. I'm not arguing that. No I'm sense. saying there's no consistency with how these things are are handled. None. But they're completely different plays. You can't like pick something. If you could find another play where a guy got elbowed in the head. I'm sure I could, James. If I spent a week, I could find many plays where this was not called or this was not called and this was not penalized. What what made that one unique was that it was just like had nothing to do. Like if if Chernak had the puck and Bunting just missed his hit, then I don't think it's, I think it's probably one game. Let me ask you this, James. If, If that's John Tavares and he makes that exact same play, is he getting three games? Didn't think so. It's it's partly because of who it is. He's getting he's getting probably one, and he's probably getting nothing. Honestly, he's getting a match. Well, I think the retaliation piece of it is there too, right? Because like he had had run-ins with Chernak earlier in the game, and I'm sorry, I just don't think that this like dr- like you look in the NBA, Draymond Green literally stomps on a guy and gets one game, and that was a big deal. What if Sorelli did that to Matthews, and Matthews is out of the series with a concussion? People would be like screaming for him to get like if it was a two game suspension or a one game suspension, people would be furious. An elbow that has nothing to do with the play. Like Tampa might lose the series because they don't have Chernak. Yeah, that's fair. I think three games is excessive. Anyway, let's move on. Uh, let's. This is a flagrantly stupid play by Bunting. It was not a good decision. I don't think it should have been three games. But I know one of the questions or multiple of the questions we're getting is about bunting. Let's just answer it right now. Like, would do you put him back in the lineup and who do you take out it's, based on the, based on game two? It's way too soon to know. Like, how can we know? Like, there's too well, much to, to... Unfortunately, you have to do it based on game two because that's the challenge. You <laughs> I don't have to do anything. I don't know. Like, we'll have to see how game three goes and we'll have to I'm see how captain. game four no. goes. Yeah, you're, you're Captain Phillips. 
we just need to see how the games go. Like if they if they win games three and four, he's this, probably this not getting back in. Podcast. What? Yeah, well, yeah, okay. There we go. You answered the question. That's good. I said it was the cop out podcast, but then you answered the question. Yeah, I mean, if they play well and everyone's playing playing good and they don't have an injury, then maybe Bunting doesn't play. Mm, it's conceivable. And if uh, you haven't read James's story about Michael Bunting and kind of the the turn his season has taken, uh, go check that out at theathletic.com slash leaf report. Huh? Some people are saying my story was over the top. You didn't, I don't think you thought so, but some people were, I got some complaints over that story. Okay. Well, if you haven't read it, go read for yourself and judge. Uh, let's take a break and then let's get into some questions. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. All right, James, what do you and the player Department of Player Safety have to say for yourselves? Department of Player Safety? <laughs> huh? I think it's fine. I mean, he I thought he was getting two for sure. So anyway, uh, Peter Mark hyphenated would like to know, uh, why can't they just play like this all the time? Why must they torture us? Do you have a good answer for that? It's hard. It's hard to, to, to reach that level, obviously. Well, the, and the other team is trying to prevent the you. The other from team is trying to prevent you. But like this is the, the thing. Like I, I think one of the interesting subplots of the series for me is how much can they find that other gear? Like, can they find that other gear enough to win the series? Because I think what we've seen well, from them in the past. find it in the deciding yes, games, right? And this like, is what's not happened. Them. Yes. We've seen them play like this in the playoffs before. Yes. Like we've, we've seen them and you watch and like, whoa, like they're way better than Montreal or Columbus or whatever. And yes, but they need to do it in game five, six and seven. Yes. And that's like one of the, 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 the central storylines of the series is like, can their stars do it like elevate and can they do it when it really matters? Because if you go through their history in some of these elimination games year after year after year, their numbers aren't aren't good. Like, and if you look in the last four like series deciding games, Leafs have scored one goal or less. So as we move along here, they're going to have to continue to get better. And that was something Sheldon Keith kept stressing after the game, again and again and again. And like, I know it's kind of obvious, but he, he said like we're going to have to be a lot better in Game Three because Tampa's going to be a lot better in Game Three. And if they get Hedman back, if they get Chernak back at some point, you, you got to figure Vasilevsky's going to be better than he was in Game Two. So. We'll see. I have, my prediction is game three is not. No one scores seven goals in game. It's two, like three two, right? So that's that's my guess. Number of questions about Matthew. Someone's asking, did Matthew Nice get hurt near the end of the game? Did you see anything on that? I didn't notice that on the broadcast, but um, he was out there late on that power play and took the 
it's funny. He really wanted a goal there when it was the, they were five on three and he's in front of the net and they were showing his parents like watching and like, you know, he was really ticked off that he got that penalty for knocking the stick away because you could, he was hungry to get one there, even though it was seven, two with two minutes left or whatever. Yeah. Thoughts on uh, keeping nice in the lineup. I mean, I think, I mean, based on what I saw, I think you should stay in the lineup. I think if you do want to bring Bunting back, you're probably taking out a Lafferty or an Aston Reese, right? I mean, we'll see. We'll see how he plays. Like, that was, that was just one game. We'll see how he plays in Tampa. We'll see, like, things can change. Like, it's, it's a, I don't know. It's too soon to say what's going to happen there. He's so young. Like, he's barely played, man. Uh, there's questions about Dubas. I think we should save that stuff. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about. Uh, Derek wants to know what did you think of the energy at Scotiabank what was that crowd where would that rank Jonas in terms of the playoff crowds you've seen over the years I actually think the game one crowd was a bit better um, and then obviously it got like the balloon got like <laughs> popped like emphatically by the lightning um, but the crowds have been good like it is way different from the regular season obviously um, and the game went well for them like right away that changes the tenor of things, obviously. Like they got booed off the ice uh, in the first and second periods on in game one. Like that that doesn't yeah, I happen. I think they might have been booing their officials there in the game one. Was- no, I don't think so, James. It was it was three nothing. They just got scored off with like three seconds left I in the period. They were pissed off about those stupid penalties that they called on Camp and uh, Shen. I think the fans were pissed off about that. Okay, you say so, James. I do say so. I just said it right now. Yeah. You did? Jonas is ornery today. He didn't get <laughs> enough sleep. He didn't get his beauty rest. Uh, Nick wants to know, is it a coincidence that Tampa seemed to target Toronto's defensemen for fights in game two? I mean, it was the... when you If you can't beat them, beat them up was, seemed to be the strategy. I mean, look at Giordano fighting Bogosian. I was like, oh boy, that's a mismatch. And then he, he, he handled himself really well. Giordano's got like the dad strength. Like it, it was impressive. Yeah. And then you had obviously Shen and Janot and what was it, Hall and Perry. Shen's so funny because like, I mean, I've watched him a little bit in the other places he's gone since he left Toronto, but it really feels like I just keep having flashbacks to when he was just like baby face Shen and like, <laughs> it's like he came back, he was like in the woods for 10 years and he came back and he's like this grizzled old man. It's, it's, it's funny. Yeah. That's something actually I've talked to him about just how weird it all is and he's acknowledged like just the strangeness of his journey back here. He's played pretty well in this series. Yep. Like I haven't, I mean, we'll see in Tampa if they try and target him and if like they put, you know, point and Kucherov out there against him. But like, I haven't seen him exposed through the, through the first two games. No, that pair, I believe, I don't think that pair has been scored on yet. If I'm not mistaken. No, they have not. Let's see here. Kyle says there's no way Tampa wins the series without, both Hedman and Chernak, right? <laughs> uh, we'll see. I suspect at least one of those guys is going to be back at some point, right? You would think so. Like, do you, I mean, they haven't said, I don't think, what the injury is for Chernak, and I, I don't think they've said either for Hedman, but like, you got to think it maybe was a, was it a head injury for Chernak? Was it a concussion maybe? I'm pretty sure that's, yeah. When you look at yeah. the minutes in game two for their D, and again, blowout. Radish, 22 and a half. Sergachev, just under 22. 21 and change for Cole. 18 for Bogosian. Again, I don't know how much we can take for that, but like they're playing guys. They don't want to play that much, but they don't have a choice. Nathan says, I know you and Jonas aren't Leafs fans, but would you get excited seeing the Leafs win a series? 
or do you like having a longer break? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we still work when we're still we're still working when uh, if they lose. But um, yeah, the playoffs are definitely hard miles. I know it's you know my family, my wife like cheers for them to lose every time, and she's she's from the GTA. So, but she just she likes it when uh, I'm around a little bit more. Are you cheering for them, Jonas? Are you going to be excited if they win a series? I mean, it would be kind of, it would be, I mean, it's, I've covered other teams winning playoff series. It would be, at least it would be something different, right? Like, I think as, I mean, you've been around the team almost 20 years now, 17, 18 years. Like, be nice to like, it's interesting in the job to do different kinds of stories, right? Leafs do faceplant is like, I've, I've written so many of those. Yeah, like we just cover whatever happens, but for, like, I would be happy for Leaf fans to have, like, the first round yeah, is not that, really that big a deal. Like, you're, you're, you're supposed to win around. And, like, for the people, like, you get to know people with the organization, like, you'd be happy for them. You know what I mean? Like, if they don't win this series, there's going to be, I mean, people yeah, know, like, it would be, it, a, could, it could be ugly. It could be lots of people losing their jobs and players traded and, you know, I, I think I think they've done a pretty good job building this team too. So to have it demolished over the results of one series against a really good Tampa team, it I know something about it doesn't one hundred percent sit right with me. So yeah, but to be fair, it's not um, one series. Like it is no, I, it no. would be seven series. So yeah, but they like they were the, they shouldn't have beaten Boston or Washington those years. I mean, like the missed opportunities is like Columbus, Montreal. Last year was a coin flip. That was, I don't know. We'll like, get into this if, like, let's not jump ahead. But it's, like, part of, like, what sometimes you think. It's, like, I don't know. Yeah, the other thing I was thinking, like, maybe we're getting too far ahead, but, like, I think they have to guard against. If you do win a round, you got to, like, make sure you don't treat it like winning the Stanley Cup because you're right. I mean, that's just, like, step one. So, you know, I think that they've got guys in the dressing room now, like O'Reilly. They're going to be, like, hey, 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 like, it's great we won, but, like, <laughs> we got we got another game in two days and we got to beat Boston or... Or maybe it'd be have to beat Florida. <laughs> um, Ryan B says, "Do you think Tavares listened to the last podcast and said I'll show those cronies?" <laughs> <laughs> he was a lot better. Uh, I can tell you, like he did look. It's funny, like um, he looked a little more spry on his feet in game two, and that was one of the things he was working on at practice the day before the game. Um, just some of these little drills he does to kind of reinforce some of that stuff in terms of his skating. Um, but like they need him to be effective. Like they're, they're built that way. They're built in such a way that he's the, the fifth highest paid player in the league. Like they need him to be impactful. And that doesn't mean necessarily he's going to be dominant five on five, but they need him to score basically and not be a, a huge liability and in game two he wasn't he was the opposite uh adam wants to know do you think there's any chance they change the d pairs because they're going to tampa tampa and playing on the road like do you think they could put riley with brody thoughts i don't I mean, think McCabe, is, McCabe hasn't McCabe had the best hasn't start been amazing no yeah i i think what they might what i might contemplate if i were them is the forward combinations just heading into tampa but they're they're kind of limited in some ways with what they can do because they're they have certain players that they're going to want to protect. You know what I mean? Like they're they're not going to want to. In theory, if you want to put Tavares back with O'Reilly, then you're leaving Kerfoot, Achari, and Nice, and that feels like a line that can get picked on more than Kerfoot, Tavares, Nylander. 
You know what I mean? So like there, there are some little things that they're going to have to think about, but I think Tampa is going to really try to like, if I were them and what we've seen from them in the past, go after Tavares, Neal and Aaron Kerfoot with their top line and see if they can punch that advantage. Uh, the other player that, uh, a lot of Leafs fans weren't happy with in game two, despite it being a good game for the Leafs as a whole was Justin Hall. Uh, Jordan says, should Keith think about putting Lilgren in for Justin Hall? Uh, there was a big win tonight. Um, but Hall was constantly getting walked by opponents. I'm actually a little more concerned with Giordano. What about you? Yeah. Well, that pairing in general is like, I mean, that's been... Giordano looks slow. Yes. I mean, Hall... Well, one of the problems for them, James, is they're using that pair basically as their second pair, which means they're getting the the second most difficult matchups behind Brody and McCabe. And that's a lot to ask of Giordano. And this was always like part of the the conversation with Giordano, right? Yeah. I mean, he just doesn't skate the way that he used to. And I mean, of course he doesn't. He's 39 years old. He's the oldest skater in the whole league. So... Um, he's gotten by all season on his smarts. Um, the thing with Hall too that I think some people forget—they get you know frustrated with mistakes moving the puck, or he gets hit and he turns it over. I mean, he's very—he's a big part of the penalty kill. He's he had some big block shots in that game. Like, huge some block that shots, yeah, early in that game. You put Timothy Logren in, and like he's not gonna—he's not gonna step in on the penalty kill. You know, like so some of it is like situational and. You know, he's clearly a guy that Sheldon Keefe trusts. I'm not saying he's a perfect player, but he does some things that they need. I think it's something that they might have to contemplate. Like, we'll see how game three goes, but that's something like rejigging the pairs to kind of take some pressure off Giordano and maybe even Hall. Uh, Giordano has been outscored 4 nothing at 5-on-5 five five so far. 3 nothing for Hall. Obviously, they play together mostly. All right. We're winding down here. We only got a couple more minutes. These are going to be shorter podcasts for us coming out of... Uh since we're going to try and do one after every game. Uh, Eric wants to know, would you put Wayne Simmons in given Tampa's antics? We may need him. I mean, I don't, I don't change nothing after how well they played the forwards played in game two. No, I'm not in that. That's, that's not why, like I can't dress a guy because of that stuff. If I'm running things, I mean, we've seen that. We saw that last year and it didn't work. Yeah. Well, and the thing too, that the Leafs have more toughness throughout the lineup. Like you could see that, like they've got, you know, O'Reilly and Achari and Lafferty and Shen and, yeah. you know, McCabe. Like, there's there's a bunch of guys that if the if the Lightning want to fight and do whatever, I mean, this is the most of that that the, the Leafs have had in For sure. this era of the team, right? Well, like this is... And they're going to need, like, McCabe, that was, that was not a good penalty for him to take there, that roughing penalty that no. he takes. Like, that's no. the kind of thing, like, you can't but, have that stuff counter Jonas like it's kind of like the coaching staff can say to him is like eh, don't do that again and it's like a meaningless game and you know and if he doesn't do it again but yeah I mean but at that point in the game it was not meaningless like that's 10 minutes into the first no, period and he it's like between the whistles yeah I mean they got to stay out of the box because Tampa's power play is uh, let's see here let's see here let's see here Alexander says his bunting played his last game in a Leafs jersey I mean Probably not, but I mean, that's part of what the story I wrote was, is that I don't think he's going to resign. So I'm not as convinced as you on that. Like, you think he might resign? Maybe. I mean, there is nobody who would, who wants to play here more than, than bunting. But as we've seen in the past, money can be a big selling point to go elsewhere. So we'll see. Yeah. It's just, 
a guy like that who's never had a payday and like he's just he's going to be able to get way more somewhere else like well and we've seen and it so many times the conversation of what makes sense for the Leafs like he's not super young he is limited somewhat in where he can play and obviously he's had some issues with the officials so anyway that's a conversation for a different day and people are asking if Sorelli got hurt late in the game. Did you see that? I didn't notice that. Yeah, either. it looked like he did, but again, we'll see what happens for game three. Like, he's so Boy, central to what they, they do. If they don't have him, then it's like... I, I mean, one thing I think we should say, I think we're going to wrap here. Um, I can ask one more if you want, but I, uh, one thing I would say is that, like, the table is set for the Leafs to win this series. Like, with all the injuries that Tampa has and, like, you know, as assuming those guys don't come back, they... They need to take advantage of the situation they're in. It's the same thing as like against that Montreal Canadian division situation. Like people were already looking ahead. Oh, who are they going to play in round two? And who are they going to play in round three? And, you know, they should have won that series. At this point, with the way that the two rosters look, the Leafs should win this series. I mean, I we said that before the game without knowing that Hedman was going to be out or Chernick was going to be out. Yeah. Yeah. But we, one thing we've also seen from Tampa is Tampa has show that it can withstand a lot of shit and rise up so we'll see any more questions nick says yeah nick i'll do one more nick says so i can assume in tampa today they're calling for the coach and gm to be fired and blow up the entire team or is that just a toronto thing i mean come on like <laughs> clearly the context is a little bit different i mean tampa doesn't really have anything to prove really no like they've tampa has has shown i mean the the, the two their two paths couldn't have been any different the last three years. Tampa has delivered again and again and again and again. So when you don't deliver, like you said earlier, when you don't deliver, when you lose in key moments, people are going to talk about blowing it up. When you win in key moments, they're going to put banners up and put your face on the side of the building. Like that's, that's what happens. All right, James, your face is going to be in the side of this, the building of our podcast. How's that? Huh? Our podcast is going to have a building? Yeah, I think we should. We should advertise in downtown Toronto and just get some billboards up. Maybe the 905, well, too. if anyone wants to advertise on the show and help us get a building, then uh, <laughs> let it, let us know because we're not... The the amazing advertisers we have now are not uh, going to pay that mortgage, so... All right, well, James, game four... Or game four. Game three is on Saturday. Game four is on Monday. Uh, I'm not sure. I think we might record on the Wednesday. I haven't told you this. I'm telling you this now just because of travel, but we'll talk. Uh, we'll probably talk after game number three. So we'll see how this goes as the series shifts to Tampa. That's all I have to say to you. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 
See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.